Well, I'll be leaving tomorrow. I won't see you again until probably February or March. So be good little boys and girls. <laughs> I thought I would talk about the legacy of Master and how it can be perpetuated and how we at Ananda can avoid pitfalls in the future. And uh, I know that Master said to Daya, and she quoted this to me, I guess not quite understanding how personally directed it was. He said, how much you will all change the work after I am gone. I just wonder if I were to come again in a hundred years, if I would even recognize it. And uh, changes do occur in every religion. That's why avatars have to keep being sent again and again. Buddhism changed. Islam wasn't, um, well, I'll say that perhaps with a uh, PS. Um, but all religions change from their origins and become usually more uh, taken on by human beings who want things to be more natural. For example, Jesus Christ said, and I'm going to read the quote, and everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. And Mark, after the words, shall receive an hundredfold, adds further these words with persecutions. How many Christians today teach this truth? Very few. It's inconvenient. And this is what happens to, to uh, every religion. People come along and think, well, he couldn't have been, he could have meant that much. And so they gradually change it to make it a more convenient teaching. Jesus again said, He that loveth father or more than me, a father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. How many Christians today teach that teaching? He also said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect, in Matthew 5:48, And this has been consistently changed to read, Be ye therefore good. But Jesus, in fact, meant, Be ye perfect. Our goal in life is not the usual Christian ideal of heaven in a, in a limited body. I can't imagine a worse hell than spending eternity. I mean, think of eternity. In one little body, there's something about spirituality, about nature, about our own nature, that wants to reach out and embrace the reality. And here you are stuck in this body for eternity. Yes, looking at a few flowers and flitting around with a few angels gets boring after a while. <laughs> There's more to it all. 
And so what, what Christians believe is not what Jesus taught. Again and again, when he used the pronoun I, he was talking of his infinite self. And so the teachings of the um, high masters always become corrupted to that which people would like. And as a result, they become, they, it becomes necessary for God to send into the world again and again his awakened sons in order to uh, bring back um, that original eternal religion, which is one throughout the universe. It can only be one. Everything came from God. Everything must go back to God. But no, the Christians will say, but this is how we're different from the Hindus, and this is how we're different from the Buddhists and the Muslims and so on. And each one speaks about his particular unique reality. Only in India has it been preserved, that teaching, which still becomes very limited with the caste system, with the, well, there was one story Ramakrishna told of a man who used to worship Vishnu but couldn't stand the name Shiva. And so when the boys in the area discovered that he had this antipathy, they began calling Shiva, Shiva to him um, when he was meditating and praying. And so he hung bells on his ears and uh, when they would call Shiva, they would, he would ring these bells so he couldn't hear them. And uh, one time God appeared to him, half Vishnu, half Shiva. His one body, Shiva on one side, Vishnu on the other. When he was waving the incense, he closed the nostrils on the Shiva. <laughs> well, this kind of abysmal ignorance is what we find everywhere. And uh, what, that is one of the dangers. But here's another. When religion becomes institutionalized, then an organization naturally has to, I mean, it can't go bankrupt or it won't exist. So it has to make survival its primary and unwritten but fundamental law. It cannot do anything that will injure its survival. And so finally, it tries to do everything that will promote its survival. For example, in uh, an organization, when you have a choice between a saint who is completely incompetent in an administrative way and a person who is a good administrator but isn't particularly saintly, whom will you promote? You have to promote the person who is competent. You can't have an incompetent running your, your uh, um, financial department, for example. And so gradually organizations become top-heavy with the administrative types. And just as the saying, birds of a feather flock together, obtains everywhere, so the administrative types begin, if they have a choice between a good saint, a saint who's also a good, good let's say, financial advisor, and somebody who's not saintly, but is a good financial uh, advisor, they will choose the not saintly one. I mean, who wants to be embarrassed by somebody who's making him out, who's making him out to look very worldly? So naturally, you would, you would 
you accept the worldly person. And so big churches like the Catholic Church, I remember being in the Vatican once and seeing a lot of cardinals passing by with their red hats. They all looked like Wall Street bankers. <laughs> they were competents, but they were not saintly. At least the Catholic Church has, and has kept the principle of saints because saints are the true custodians of religion. And at least they have kept that. Whereas in the Protestants, they get rid of the problem by saying, we're all saints. Well, big luck, Gottel, good luck. But it uh, isn't true. So usually we have to just accept that that's the way it always will happen. So our question will be, what about the future of Ananda? Can we somehow prevent this process of uh, dilution from happening? I don't think so. I think it would be naive to think that we can be an exception to something that's been true for all of history. I've done my best to make sure, but I know that I'm only sort of uh, holding the seawall uh, with lots of, lots of holes in it. <laughs> There's a, let me, I have a few notes here which I wrote into the last chapter of uh, the biography of Yogananda. It's a new chapter which I'm adding. Well, I hope I have it here. Yeah. So I've tried to um, reduce the temptation to pride and ego among the leadership by making each community autonomous, by appointing those to leadership positions who had no desire for it, by appointing those as ministers who showed a desire only to share our Guru's teachings, and by having both a spiritual director and a general manager, positions to which people are appointed, not elected. Yogananda provided against insurrection from below by appointing a self-generating board of directors. The result, unfortunately, has been a growing insensitivity to the needs and valid interests of others. I have not in any case been able, in this respect, to follow his teaching, his example. It simply wouldn't have worked. The Ananda communities are created by those who then constitute the membership. So it's an altogether different situation. But how will the, will the dilution come? It will come from below. People will decide, for example, that which makes Ananda strong and beautiful is an attitude of giving, not taking. But I just got a letter the other day from one of you saying that we ought to be able to give the same salaries to people here as in the world. I myself don't get any salary. And I'm sustained somehow. And uh, we somehow think in terms of giving. But as, long, as soon as that attitude begins to take over here, it's the wrong attitude. 
as soon as people come here thinking, I'm, I could get just as good th a deal in the world or a better deal, let me live in the world, then Ananda ceases to be a useful place. It will be a nice little place where people live as they live in every village, selfishly for themselves. I don't want to see that happen, but I'm afraid it will happen. The insurrection will come from below. People saying, well, why can't we have this? Why can't we have that? Why can't we be more like everybody else and losing our spirit of renunciation, of self-giving, of trying to help the world and thinking in terms of what will help me? That's not the right attitude, but it will probably come in. And I'd like to stop it while I can, but in time, who knows? That's how I can see things happening. That from below, people will start to change that whole spirit, and you'll find they have just a bunch of little villages all around the world. Nothing is ever perfect. Maya is always fluctuating. Maya is always um, finding a way in the back door to ruin everything. So that's why these things have to come again and again. The best solution is to understand that individuals can maintain their own integrity. Never make a god of the organization. Never make a god of Ananda. Never make a god of anything. God is finally beyond form. God is beyond all limitation. And uh, as long as you are true to yourself, that is all you can really do. I don't think this will happen soon. I think I've provided many safeguards against it that will endure. But I do see that this is how it could happen. So please, in your own minds, keep in mind that Satan is always like a wolf baying at the door. Don't, don't let him in. He'll always ruin everything in the name of Good, sound, solid, common sense. You know, there, there are two things, that, two instruments that we have for understanding. One is reason. And uh, I think I must have been born with this understanding that reason is not adequate. Because I used to play games with myself, and I would try to propose absolutely preposterous reasons for things in order to convince my mind that reason wouldn't give me the right answer. I might say, for example, Mother, don't give me spinach. Spinach is green, and green is the color of envy. And you want me to become envious, do you? And I knew that was false reasoning, but I enjoyed doing it because it helped me to understand that uh, um, truth has to be understood with the heart. Above all, when I met, when I read Yogananda's book, it went against all reasoning. I remember telling my mother when she talked of the miracles of saints, I said, that's just nonsense. But when I read it in his book, I knew it was true. When I read it in his book, I just said, I didn't have any doubts on the subject. And many times people would... Uh, so suggest teachings to me that were there uh, different variations on divine truth, metaphysical teachings and so on. 
I would always say, is this what Master said? If they said yes, then I'd accept it. If they said no, I would not accept it. But my heart absolutely accepted what he taught as my truth. But it's the heart that understands. And it's only until you know with your heart that uh, a truth is valid that you can really know it. The heart's feelings absorb, absorb into themselves and become absorbed by. The reason is standing on the bank watching and saying, is the water uh, warm enough to swim in? But it doesn't know. It just stays there on the bank. Should I, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? Never gets anywhere by itself. This is the problem with modern science. It tries to give you um, a way, uh, uh, tries to give you truths that make sense, but they're not true. So anyway, these thoughts I wanted to bring out this evening, because I'm leaving tomorrow, and, uh, um, well, I hope to have a good time, but that good time means serving Master. I think I told you before, there is this uh, um, TV station in Dubai, which is going to air my shows every day in the year, and uh, so we're going to straighten that one out. And also Gyandev is going to do Hatha Yoga for it, Ananda Yoga. So anyway, it looks like a wonderful idea. They're giving it to us free. And what could be better? <laughs> now, let me ask you if you have any questions. I'm not going to talk long tonight because I've got to pack. Well, I'm not packing, and I'm almost back, but still, I need to rest before the trip. Okay. My, yeah. my question's about the uh, leaders of our country. And uh, one idea is that we get about what we deserve, more or less. Um, mass karma, the effects of mass karma. I wanted to know what you thought about that. Is that a, a way of understanding, or is there a better way of understanding? There's understanding we can do nothing about, there's understanding that we can do something about. In this case, I don't see what we can do about it. But I, I think that it is mass karma, and I think that they are. You know, one of the worst things that happens in America, many people still think that Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a great thing. Yogananda felt that he had betrayed the country, making big government. Government should not be brought in to solve your problems for you. It should be brought in to help keep the traffic flowing and a few basic things like that, but not to solve every problem. Because when they do one thing for you, they own you. I know that Dubey in India told me with great enthusiasm, if we ask the government for help with our schools, then we'll be able to grow four times as quickly. And uh, I said to him, if the government gives you one paisa, which is much less than a cent, then they own you. And in fact, that's what happened. We've built and been, been able to build those buildings, but we haven't spread our, our schools. 
because they haven't allowed us to have our schools. They've made them into their own schools. We can't teach master's teachings there anymore. So I would say that the, you can't always fly over a bridge. Try flying under it. <laughs> we had a lot of trouble for, we had a lot of trouble for a long time with the county here, with the planning department. It turns out that the, oh, that the person who was running the planning department at that time is now in charge of a movement to try to close Nevada County to anybody coming in. She tried her best to get us out of here. And uh, that's the kind of thing that I wish we hadn't had to, but she tried to get us to be a condominium. There was no, no, uh, no configuration into which she could fit us. And uh, so we made a master plan. It was too short. We made another one. It was too long. She tried her best, bless her heart. My solution, <laughs> my solution was to, for somebody to go in and substitute something for her birth control pills, but... <laughs> anyway, we did manage to get her out, and that was Ananda's effort. Anyway, yeah. Any other questions? Thank you, Swamiji. So this question is from somebody online. I'm going to have to yeah. bend down to read it. It's a, they ask, how can I make sure to achieve samadhi or God-realization in this lifetime? I, do not, I really do not want to come back for another incarnation. <laughs> how can you what? Achieve samadhi in this lifetime. I really don't want to come back for another incarnation. <laughs> <laughs> On behalf of all of us. <laughs> well, Chantra Sri Ram Jai Ram. <laughs> Just do what you're doing. And remember one thing you can't force it. Even though we teach yoga, and it's a very important thing, yoga, it graces everything. But on the sunlight on the side of a building, if the curtains in a room are closed, it cannot come into that room. And so we have to understand that yoga doesn't bring the sunlight. It only opens you to that, that uh, inflow. And if you don't have love, if you don't have devotion, if you don't intensely want to know God, then you won't find him. There's the beautiful story that Master told about Draupadi. Krishna said to her, why don't you practice yoga? And she said, I'd love to, Master, but I can't take my mind away from you long enough to practice it. And Krishna only smiled. So remember, love is the most important thing of all. Technique can help you. Kriya can help you. But if you do Kriya, there was a man at Mount Washington, Jean Haupt, who must have practiced over a million Kriyas. He would meditate for 48 hours at a time. And finally he left Mount Washington, left Master. And uh, he said, I didn't come here to rake leaves. Master said, I didn't ask him to come here to rake leaves. But 
he was like a merchant. I've given you so many kriyas, you have to give me so much realization. A quid pro quo kind of thing. Kriya is not like that. It should be practiced with devotion. The number of kriyas is not nearly so important as the way you practice it. As you bring the energy up the spine, feel that you're offering yourself at the feet of the Divine Mother. These things are very necessary. And so how can I achieve samadhi? Seek God's grace to give it to you. You won't get it for yourself, by yourself. Okay? Any other questions? had to push us in specific directions here in the village or at Ananda, what would you emphasize as directions we'd want to be going more towards or maybe we've drifted away from, in your opinion? I think you're going very well right now. I don't want to see any switch. Really, I'm extremely happy. I see a wonderful spirit here, a spirit I've not seen in any ashram, and I'm very proud of you. So I'm talking about the future. Okay? Swami, last night um, at the women's meditation, we worked on a a tape of yours uh, dealing with expansion. And I'm wondering how you stay centered and at the same time expand. You have to get everything into yourself before you can give yourself. And so the becoming centered in yourself, for instance, listening to Om, feeling it fill your whole body, and then offer that. I talked quite a bit on this on Sunday. It's a very important teaching that whatever you have, a vritti, Master, uh, the Patanjali, I should say, said that yoga uh, Yoga is the neutralization of little whirlpools of feeling, little eddies of feeling. We need to, um, those whirlpools are self-enclosing. We need to get into it, center ourselves in it, and then offer it. When you have a fault, don't just say, I haven't got that fault. Become... Take it into yourself, and then when you feel that you are one with it, offer it to God. You will find that expansion, expansion is the completion of centeredness. That when you center yourself, then you are able really to offer it up to the infinite. Okay? Mukti, this thing is beeping at me, and I don't know why. Push the button. Yeah, but now it was on. Now it Is it working now? All right, go ahead. <laughs> Speak and I won't hear you. Can you hear me? <laughs> you can hear me now. No, I hear you uh, through my... Can you hear me now? Now speak. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. Good, okay. Question? Someone with a question? Yes. I know in other occasions. I know many times 
someone you have said to us that in the privacy of our homes our altar can be as we want yeah. like placing master in the center as we work with um, other countries and they become more of a public place um, I have noticed a tendency to change um, not to place Jesus in the center of the altar but place master I think it's not right. Okay. Master didn't do that. We shouldn't do that. In our private homes, you can do what you like. But we should do what Master did. Mm-hmm. In India, I have done one thing differently because Master prayed to Babaji Krishna. And Master said that Babaji is an incarnation of Krishna. And so I've had a painting drawn and it's painted. And it's not very good, but it's for no adequate with Krishna up above, as if blessing Jesus. But Jesus is still in the center. And uh, I think we could ignore that here and in South America. And elsewhere, Jesus should be in the center as Master placed him. Another question in regard to the altar. And it is, um, our altar has the black and white pictures of the Masters. How important it is for a center in Latin America to choose the black and white pictures because I notice that they are using the color ones. I don't think it much matters. Okay, that's all I wanted yeah. to know. Thank you, Sumiji. Yeah. Swami, I'd like to ask you a question about the growth of our schools. There's um, incredibly growth of interest in our schools Outside, I mean, it's just been growing very, very fast. People all over the country and all over other countries writing on, from our website and wanting to know are there, are there schools near them, are there schools near them. And I'm just wondering, you know, we have Education for Life as an overview and then we have the Living Wisdom Schools. I mean, it's, is there, should we keep the same kind of quality in both schools, which means a lot longer before we could help somebody with a school? Or... Can people just take the Education for Life's training and create a school without the quality, keeping the quality that we have? I think that we have to use a bridge. In the beginning, we have to let people take it their way, but you know that as they do, they will add their own things that they've learned, and it'll be a corrupted system. So we've got to train people to teach this system, and that's what we're doing, isn't it? Yeah. It takes quite a long time to really train them well. It, but it takes a long time to train them well. I agree. But we've had to have that from the beginning because we had to have schools. We had no one trained. So bit by bit we've been developing it. I would like to always keep in touch with the basic system and uh, um, train people in that as well as we can. Twenty years down the road, we should have a whole army of people because if their schools are recognizing the need for it, the teachers must be recognizing that need too. So, bridge to it. We have to accept compromise until we do the final thing. Okay? There's somebody to about. Okay. Swamiji, would you suggest that the expanding light make an effort to connect with and cooperate with other spiritual retreats? 
I don't know. I would say put your toe in the water and see if it's too cold. <laughs> because uh, it may work, it may not work. They may, I just don't know. You know, I've been, a par participated in quite a few interreligious conferences. I remember one in Calcutta and the Christian Bishop of Calcutta, he got up and he said, thank you for giving me, giving me this opportunity to speak about my Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if that's what it means to them, then I don't see any point. I said, when I, my turn came to speak, I said, the, the conference like this, we should be looking for points of similarity, not for points of where we can just declare our own. And everybody said, oh, what a wonderful speech. I thought, well, <laughs> it, shouldn't, it should be obvious. And so if people are ready for it, fine. But put your toe in the water and see. Turiya, yeah. Hi, Swamiji. Hi. Can the desire to help others ever be detrimental to our spiritual growth? I say, not if you don't want to, not, it will be detrimental if you try to impose your help on others. But if you offer it freely and give others the freedom to accept or reject anything that you say, then it can only be self-expansive. So self-expansion, the ego tries to achieve self-expansion by imposing. The soul tries by offering. So make it a free offering, then I don't see how it can be. But Jesus said, um, cast not your pearls before swine. And there's some lovely comebacks. One of them was that one where this lady said, age before beauty, and the other one said, pearls before swine. <laughs> Another one was a boy in high school was going with a group of his friends through some lady's backyard, and she looked out the back window carelessly and said, what are you doing out in my backyard? He answered, crops fail down south, we're migrating. <laughs> So, <laughs> I've always loved that comeback. <laughs> In fact, it's completely taken me off the subject. What was the, <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> Can helping people ever be detrimental, the desire to help others? Yeah. In the wrong way it can be, if you try to impose on others but offering, and try to make the offering with a sense of free, freedom and of humor. Okay, any other questions? Yes. Swami, I was just wondering if you had any tips on how we could hear the Om vibration more deeply. Well, you know, I was with Master out of the desert. It was the first moment that I'd had alone with him. And I thought, really, I ought to take advantage of this opportunity. 
And he was just sitting there, quietly saying nothing. So I said, uh, sir, what does Om sound like? Mm. <laughs> How do you hear it? <laughs> so practice the Om technique. <laughs> I think that's enough of an answer. Okay. Any other questions? What do auctioneers say? Going. Going. <laughs> <laughs>